we are taking a break from our study through the book of Matthew. Why don't we just take, take an interlude from the book of Matthew and just cover this subject of fallen angels and demons. We're going to try to go through it all, give you the origin, mission, and destiny of uh, Lucifer, of fallen angels, of demons. We are going to start covering this topic by way of a historical timeline. So here is your uh, biblical timeline. And if you look to the left of the screen, you start off with the creation week. Uh, the creation week is a seven-day period. Then just after that, you have the fall of man with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. After that, we have the flood in the days of Noah. Now, after the flood in the days of Noah... God gets a hold of Abraham, uh, makes a covenant with Abraham. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons. And those 12 sons end up going on down to Egypt. The family stays down there for 430 years. And they go down as a family, but they leave Egypt as a nation. And that's the nation of Israel. After that, they head on to the promised land. When they get into the promised land, they are ruled by judges for about 436 years. Then the nation of Israel is ruled by kings for another 520 years. They get taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. They get taken away uh, into captivity. And then after their release, they go back to their homeland. They rebuild Jerusalem. They rebuild the wall of the city. They rebuild the temple. And then the Persian Empire uh, takes over the known world. After that, they're followed by Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire that takes over the world. And then finally, uh, the Roman Empire takes over the world. And the Roman Empire is who's in charge when Christ is born. And then we see the cross on the timeline there, that yellow cross. That represents the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Fifty days later is Pentecost, which starts the church age. Now, we are currently in this church age, and we are waiting for the next event on that timeline, affectionately known as the rapture. After the rapture, there is coming a seven-year period, which is mistakenly called the Great Tribulation. And then after the seven-year period, there is a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, and that brings us to the end of the timeline that we read about in the Bible. There's a couple things that happen right afterward, but that, in a nutshell, is our biblical timeline. So we're going to start at creation. God created everything in six literal days just like we experience today. Now, if that idea bothers you, Hold on to your socks, because that's the most normal idea we're going to get to uh, tonight. God created everything in six literal days about 6,000 years ago. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had made. Verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Two important facts we want to notice here. Number one, God made everything and he did it in six days. And number two, verse two tells us that on the seventh day, God stopped making things. It says he ended his work which he had made. 
What this means is that God didn't open back up the workshop several months later and start making stuff. He didn't start creating stuff hundreds of years later. He did everything in six days, and he said, I'm done creating everything. That's it. In those six days, God created the angels. Angels are not saved people who have died and are given a halo and a little harp and some wings. That is movie and comic book nonsense. Angels are not without a beginning. They are created beings just like man was created. And the Bible explains this. If we go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we read, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, if you read through Colossians chapter 1, you find out that the entire chapter is talking about Jesus. When it says, for him were all things created, the him is Jesus. Jesus created all things in heaven. That includes all the angels, and it also includes three archangels. There are several other celestial beings we read about in the Bible, cherub, seraphims, uh, the four and twenty elders, the four beasts. There are many celestial beings that God created. We're not going to get into all of them tonight. The point is that all celestial beings were created by Jesus during that creation week. Now back to angels. We do not know the number of angels God created, but we have a pretty good idea of how many archangels there are and how the angelic system of government is set up. In the Bible, we read about three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer rebelled against God. He convinced one-third of the angels in heaven to follow him, and there was a war in heaven. Lucifer and his angels fought against God. Lucifer lost, and he was cast down to earth, along with one-third of the angels. Lucifer became the devil, Satan. Now we're going to look at Lucifer and see what the Bible says about this fallen angel. There are two main portions of scripture in the Old Testament that talk about the origin of the devil. That's Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to look at both of those. And there is one spot in the New Testament that talks a lot about the origin of the devil, and that is found in Revelation chapter 12. So we're going to start in Ezekiel 28. These verses tell us a lot about the origin, mission, and destiny of the devil. Starting in Ezekiel 28, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. 
Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. So we're going to look back on a few of these verses, starting in the first one in Ezekiel 28, 13. This tells us that Lucifer was in the Garden of Eden. And we are, this is prior to his fall. We're not talking about when he was a serpent. <clears throat> it also says that he was created, ready for this? With musical instruments making up part of his anatomy. A tabret is a percussion instrument. And we all know that pipes make sound when air is blown through them. As strange as this sounds, it makes sense when we take a look at verse 14. Lucifer was a cherub. So here's the first question of the night. There aren't many, so scream out the answer if you know it. What's the difference between angels and a cherub? If you're looking at them, what's the difference? One has wings. Angels do not have wings. Now, I know this is going to ruin somebody's day, but it's a fact. Nowhere in the Bible do we ever see an angel with wings. Cherub have wings. Seraphim have wings. And we read about their wings. It's very specific. Angels do not have wings. So cherub and seraphims fly around. So guess what happened when Lucifer would fly around? Those pipes made music. I believe Lucifer was a muse. I think one of his jobs was music in heaven. Now, in verse 15, this tells us that Lucifer was created. Lucifer was created by God. He was in the Garden of Eden uh, as an anointed cherub. He served God, possibly as choir director, but maybe that's a stretch. But something happened. Iniquity was found in him, and he sinned. So picking it up in verse 16 of Ezekiel 28. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted the wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Verse 18, thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. So verse 17, God describes the beauty of Lucifer as his downfall. God says he is going to cast him out of heaven. And verses 18 and 19 talk about his final destruction. The second portion of scripture in the Old Testament where we read a lot about the origin of and the destiny of Lucifer is in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 19. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. In verse 12, this is the only verse in the entire Bible that uses the name Lucifer. 
You find the name one time, it's right here. Notice how many times he says, I will, in verse 13. In verse 14, continuing on, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. We see in verses 13 and 14 that it was pride that was the source of the destruction of Lucifer. He wanted to be God. And we see that his punishment will be hell. Now let's see what his pride caused him to do when we go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 verses 3 and 4. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. The dragon is the devil. The stars are one-third of the angels in heaven. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer were three archangels that the Bible mentions, and we believe each one was in charge of one-third of the angels that God created. Revelation chapter 12, picking it up in verse 7, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. So in verse 7, we find out that Lucifer actually attacked and started a war in heaven. I don't know what that looked like, so don't ask. Remember, at this point, he was in heaven serving God as an archangel. Then he wanted to overthrow God. Verse 8 of Revelation 12 tells us he loses the war. Verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Him and his angels. What is that word, his? It is. Very good, Nick. It's a possessive pronoun. It says one-third of the angels were his. I don't think the devil owned them, and the devil did not create them, but I think he was in charge of them. He certainly convinced them to fight against God, and he definitely led them into battle. Back to our timeline. In this Bible timeline, where did this all happen? <clears throat> it happened after the seven-day creation week. Here is our seven-day creation week. From left to right, we see seven days, and then all the way to the right, at some point, there was the fall of man. God created all the celestial beings on day one of the creation week before he created the earth. In the book of Job, it talks about the angels being present when the foundations of the earth were laid. Therefore, the angels were created prior to the earth. I'll let you look that one up on your own. We know the war in heaven 
and Satan being cast down to earth happened after day number seven. Because God says that at the end of the creation week on day number six, he looked at everything and behold, it was very good. We read about that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Continuing on to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. I don't think that God would have said that everything in his creation was very good at the end of day six if part of his creation rebelled against him, there was a war in heaven, and he had to cast one-third of the angels he created out of heaven and down to earth. Back to the timeline for one second. So on the left of the timeline, on the screen, you see the creation week. On the right, you see the fall of man. How much time passed between the seventh day of the creation week and the fall of man? Now, the Bible doesn't say exactly. The better question would be how much time could have passed between the seventh day and the fall of man. The Bible does have an answer for that. Anyone want to render a guess? How long could Adam and Eve have been living in the Garden of Eden with God prior to the fall of man? There is an outside limit as to how long they could have been there. Anyone want to render a guess? <laughs> so that is our outside limit. Okay, so let's talk about that. Good point. So Nick brought up when they had their first kid. So when you read through Genesis chapter 5, it gives the genealogies. After they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, it says that Adam was 130 years old and begat Seth. But that wasn't his first kid. He had Cain and Abel before that. So when you do the math working backwards, you find out that Adam and Eve could have lived in the garden with God for up to 110 years before the fall of man. Adam and Eve could have lived in the Garden of Eden with God for over 100 years. And during that time, Lucifer could have been faithfully serving God in heaven and on earth with the other cherub and all the angels. But at some point in that time, after day seven, Lucifer rebelled. He convinced one-third of the angels to follow him, and there was a war in heaven. The devil is then on earth with all those fallen angels, and every single one of them knows their destiny. They continue to fight against God and his plan. The new goal of the devil is to destroy God's creation that he loves so much, mankind. The devil's first attack is on these two people who live in the garden. The attack of the devil is successful. Sin enters the world, and then Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. When this happens, we read something in interesting in Genesis chapter 3. Now, what I'm about to read you has no bearing on anything we're talking about tonight. I just want you to think about it so you go home and lose sleep tonight. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, 
We read, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So after the serpent comes, he talks to Eve, we have the fruit of the tree, she eats it, the man eats it, everyone blames each other and points fingers and God doles out the punishments. He kicks the man and the woman out of the Garden of Eden and he puts at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Why did God place a cherub as a sentry to stand guard with a supernatural weapon? Wouldn't a run-of-the-mill angel have been enough to keep Adam and Eve out of the garden? Of course it would. God wasn't trying to stop Adam and Eve from coming back into the garden. God posted a cherub to guard against another cherub, Lucifer. Now, I don't have time to discuss that any further tonight. You look that up on your own and see if that takes up your weekend. So when the devil sinned, he was cast out of heaven. He and his angels were condemned to hell, and there is no opportunity for redemption. The devil was hoping that he could destroy humanity if he got Adam and Eve to sin. Although sin got Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and they were condemned to hell, that wasn't the end of the story. Because there is redemption for mankind who sins. God sent his only son to die so that we may live. Man was still able to fulfill God's will and his purpose, which is fellowship with mankind. So the devil, realizing that bringing sin into mankind and getting them booted from the Garden of Eden didn't do it, didn't destroy mankind. Because that actually gave God the opportunity to show us all how much he loves us by sending his only son as a sacrifice. So the devil makes another attempt at destroying humanity. And this one tells us a lot about fallen angels and demons. For this, we need to turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Now, if you've never been to Genesis chapter 6 or it's been a while, I would encourage you to open up your Bible because we're going to be here on these four verses for a little bit. You're going to want to underline and highlight some stuff, and you're definitely going to want to put a bookmark in there because you're going to be looking at it later. This brings us to the angel theory. In the days of Noah. <clears throat> now, the flood in the days of Noah was the most world-changing event in Earth's history. And when reading the account of the flood carefully, there are things that happen that most modern-day biblical scholars just flat ignore. As a matter of fact, I've talked to several biblical scholars. I've talked to many, many pastors about what we are going to go over tonight. And they tell me the same thing every time. I just pass over that portion of Scripture, and I hope nobody asks me any questions about it. I've been told that by dozens and dozens of Bible teachers. Most often, if you start questioning people about this portion of Scripture, the explanation you're going to be given is don't believe the text for what it says. Don't just read it and believe it. It must mean something else. Because there is no way 
it could mean exactly what it says here because it is disturbing. Tonight, we're going to jump in and deal with these things head on. So let's start out in Genesis chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. And it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and that they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years old. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Here's the problem people have with that verse. If you have a 10-year-old read those verses, you will notice that we have three different groups talked about in verse 4. We have the giants, we have the sons of God, and we have the daughters of men. Here's problem number one. These three groups are not all human beings. If they were, this verse would make no sense grammatically. Problem number two is that the giants are the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of men. That's what it says. The giants are called mighty men and men of renown, leading us to believe that they are not just tall. There is more to their story. If they were simply tall, then they would simply be called giants. The giants being special explains why the sons of God are not human. You see, humans plus humans don't equal superhumans. Two humans have a child, it's a human child. That's not what's produced here. Matthew 24, verse 3 and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? Jesus has a confidential briefing. Jesus tells four of his disciples about his second coming. And Jesus details the preceding events. He says, Before I come, these things will happen. His answer to them is so important that it is written down in three of the four Gospels. It's recorded in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. He opens and closes this lecture with an admonition, take heed that no man deceive you. You'll find that is the theme of the entire presentation. When we're dealing with these spiritual matters, the attempt of the enemy will be to deceive us. In the middle of this briefing, Jesus makes this very strange remark. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, on the surface, we can look at that verse and believe that it's as simple as meaning that it's going to be business as usual. 
when Jesus comes. Just as in the days of Noah, all of a sudden rains came and it was a surprise to everybody. And it will be a surprise to us when the Lord comes back. And that is true. Most people who read this passage believe that's all he meant. Others might believe that it means there will be a lot of sin in the world because that's what brought the flood, right? Well, let me tell you that if sin brings a flood, we need life jackets. There has been a lot of sin in this world from day one. Don't get me wrong, there is a lot of sin in the world. There was a lot of sin in the world in the days of Noah. Now what I'm going to tell you next, some of you will agree with, and some of you will disagree with, and that's fine. But we must agree that there is no way to understand what Jesus is talking about here until we understand what the days of Noah were like. So in order to understand this whole angels and demons thing, we must first take a look at what the days of Noah were like in Genesis 6. I want you to pay close attention to the first two verses, back in Genesis chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. And you need to understand that they are a single sentence. Many people stumble here because they don't recognize that this verse... Number one and two are a single sentence. And it came to pass when the men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. This one sentence talks about the men who had daughters and this other group that wanted to come and procreate with those daughters. Again, this sentence makes no sense grammatically unless we're talking about a group that is not mankind. The key phrase that we need to understand is the sons of God. Let's see what the Bible says. Whenever the Bible uses this term, it is talking about a direct creation of God. Adam was a direct creation of God. Angels were a direct creation of God. You and I are not a direct creation of God. We are the sons of Adam. That's the whole problem. We're made of flesh, and this flesh is sinful, and, and that's the issue. We need a Savior. That's what the whole book of Romans is all about. In John 1, 2, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. See, we're not the sons of God. We get to become the sons of God. Do you know when that happens? When our bodies are changed in the twinkling of an eye and we get new bodies and we're no longer made of flesh. The term has technical meaning in the New Testament and as well in the Old Testament. The angels were a direct creation of God. The fallen angels were a direct creation of God. Demons were not a direct creation of God. We see this term used to describe a creation of God in Job and in the book of Enoch. Now, please understand, if you're not familiar with the book of Enoch, I use this source not because it is... Uh, considered scripture, because it is not. It is a historical book uh, 
that was written the second century. It is not an inspired book. However, it is useful in understanding the grammar and vocabulary of the time, and it deals with angels in a great deal. Now next, what is this verse, what is this phrase, the daughters of men? Well, it's easy. It means just what it says. These are daughters of humans, while the sons of God are celestial beings. The very fact that God uses different titles for the two groups supports the idea that they are not the same group. When you get down to verse 4, we read, There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, that the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. What this seems to indicate is that these giants were the offspring of some strange union. So let me paint a picture for you. This is very difficult for some people to absorb. Okay, Angels were created by God in the original six-day creation. Lucifer, the archangel, convinced one-third of the angels to try and take over heaven and dethrone God. There was a war in heaven. He lost. He was cast down to earth along with one-third of the angels. Then what happened? A small group of fallen angels, not all of them, understand, a small group of these fallen angels made a decision to leave their first habitation. We read about that in Jude 1.6. We're going to get there. They left their first estate and apparently tried to produce a hybrid race with human women. Now, I don't know the technology or physiology of it all, but they procreated with human women and produced offspring, which are the giants we are talking about here in this verse. At this point, Satan has a problem. He is outnumbered two to one in any battle or war that he will encounter from this point on. He has been trying to even the odds since his fall. Now let's read Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Terrific verse. We've all read it. But I don't think many of us Think about this verse concerning the previous verses in this one chapter. Noah being perfect in his generations, what does that mean? When you think about it as an isolated verse, there's no clear explanation that jumps out at you. But let me offer you an explanation that takes into account the entire chapter and the previous eight verses. What that phrase seems to indicate is that Noah's family tree was not corrupted by these things that were going on. The things that are mentioned in the preceding verses. His bloodline was pure, which later turned out to be the bloodline of Christ through his son, Seth. God chose to put that verse in there, Genesis 6-9, right after he explains to us that there are these fallen angels that are producing a hybrid offspring. One that, by the way, is so wicked that God needs to destroy the world in order to destroy them. Because for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. That's what it says. It's not talking about sin. It's talking about this unholy union and their offspring. 
God tells us that there are three attributes of Noah that we must understand. He was a just man, he was perfect in his generations, and he walked with God. It is important that we understand that his generations being perfect, that was more important than that he walked with God. It's listed in order for a reason. I believe that this was not an isolated event. I believe it was widespread, and when people started to see what types of children they could produce, they were ready and willing to jump on board. Much like witchcraft today, the reason people enter into it and stay involved is because of the power that it offers. We know that to be demonic power, but it is intriguing nonetheless. The giants that were produced from these fallen angels and these human women, they were superhuman. They were not just tall. The purpose of the flood in the days of Noah was not just that there was sin in the land. There was. <laughs> That's emphasized. But if sin brings a flood, get your umbrella out. There's something far deeper going on here. When you do your homework and you do your own study, I want, you to make, I want to make you sensitive to this idea. If you don't come to the same conclusions as me, that's fine. But you have to understand this point of view so you can investigate it at your leisure. There was a problem that is more profound that God was solving. And that was that Satan was trying to contaminate the human race. And you need to understand how widespread this problem was. On earth, prior to the flood in the days of Noah, how many people were not corrupted by this? Eight. Satan was trying to corrupt all of humanity by polluting it with fallen angels. And if he did that, there would be no Messiah to come. He was trying to wipe out humanity. That's what the devil was trying to accomplish. Now, what I'm giving you is sometimes called the angel view or the angel theory in Genesis chapter 6. And if I'm right, there should be some evidence throughout the Bible. We should be reading about evidence in the New Testament, right? Well, let's take a look because there is a lot of it. Jude, verses 6 and 7. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude is talking about the judgment of the bad guys. And he mentions among these things, these angels who sinned back in the days of Noah in Genesis 6. These angels that participated in Genesis 6 are apparently chained, awaiting a special judgment. 
Now, if what I'm explaining to you in Genesis 6 is not what they're chained up for, please get your Bible out and show me what it is. Satan and the typical fallen angel do not have this punishment applied to them. Only this small group of fallen angels that decided to leave their first estate in order to be able to produce this mischief. Now, do you understand that there is a day coming? Most of us call it the rapture. A day when all the believers get taken up to heaven all at once. And we read that we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And we will get new bodies. We will put something on. We will no longer be made of flesh. We will no longer have to worry about sin. We can stand in the presence of God. Do you understand that just as the believer puts something on when they go to heaven, whether you die or are raptured, the fallen angels took something off. So remember, only a small group of the fallen angels were asked to sacrifice themselves for the devil's plan. <clears throat> that small group of fallen angels left their first estate, procreated with human women, and made a hybrid offspring. They did this knowing they would be punished with everlasting chains under darkness until the great day of judgment. Just like the kamikaze pilot in World War II, they were willing to sacrifice their lives for a cause. When the fallen angels were here on earth, the devil had a plan, and he went to the fallen angels and said, I need some true believers that are ready to give the rest of their life for this cause. And several stepped forward in order to corrupt all of mankind. Most of the fallen angels did not do this. But more of them are going to later on in the Bible timeline. Peter tells us in the book of 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is currently walking about the earth, seeing who might be susceptible to his attacks. He is not in hell awaiting judgment. Neither are the rest of the fallen angels. Only a small group who did something extra special wicked. And Jude tells us that it happened during the days of Noah. These angels talked about in Jude 6 and 7 are a segment of the fallen angels that made a decision and were therefore punished. Jude then makes a comparison between the sins of these angels and the sins of the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah in that they were doing that which is unnatural. It was an unnatural sexual act. Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude is using verse 7 as an additional example, lumping in the angels and their activity with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah who were going after strange flesh. The angels went after strange flesh. So did the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
in the New Testament, that's one confirmation. Let's look at another one. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Do you notice that every time in the New Testament, this special small group of fallen angels that sinned is mentioned? Noah is mentioned? Because that's when their sin took place. Do you realize that these fallen angels are the only ones that have been sent to hell to await a special judgment? As I said before, Satan and the fallen angels and the demons are here on earth running amok, trying to mess up the world. They will be judged, but not until the end of the world when the Lord returns. Notice here again that he ties this event of the angels that sinned in a special way and are cast into hell for a special judgment to the days of Noah. So here again, Peter ties in the book of Jude and links them both to Genesis 6 and what took place during the days of Noah. Greek mythology. If you study Greek mythology, you run into the Titans. These beings were partly terrestrial, of earth and partly celestial. They rebelled against their father Uranus. After a prolonged conflict, they were defeated by Zeus and condemned into Tartarus. Tartarus is a section of Hades in Greek mythology. That is a part of hell. Hell has different parts. We read about the pit with chains of darkness. That's a part of hell reserved for in, this is Greek mythology. I'm not even talking Bible now. In Greek mythology, there is a special section of hell reserved for the offspring of half-man, half-God creatures. Does anyone see a parallel here? I mean, this stuff preaches. I propose to you that the legends of the ancient Greeks embody the truth concerning what happened in the past, specifically what we have learned about Genesis 6. Atlas and Hercules from Greek mythology were what the Bible calls the giants in Genesis 6. They were offspring of a relationship between the gods and human women. There are other ancient legends we find these legends about celestial beings coming down from heaven and procreating with humans in various cultures. Every one of these cultures have legends of the star people, these people that came, these gods or these demigods, they came and cohabitated with women to produce superhuman types of hybrids. Now, I've learned that the business of the American Indians uh, raising their hand you know, you've seen in the movie, they say, how, white man, right? Now, that's all Hollywood nonsense. But them raising their hand upon greeting someone is their actual culture. When they raise their hand, it is so the other person can count their fingers. Because they are scared to death of the six-fingered man. If you go to Chaco, New Mexico, you can see the pictograph of the dreaded six-fingered hand. 
These were giants that the Native Americans were deathly afraid of. The Pawnee Indians have an account that Buffalo Bill wrote about in his autobiography. Very colorful guy. You can buy the book. He says, while we were in the sand hills scouting the Niobrara country, the Pawnee Indians brought into camp some very large bones, one of which the surgeon of the expedition pronounced to be the thigh bone of a human being. The Indians said the bones were of those of a race of people who long ago had lived in that country. They said these people were three times the size of man of the present day, that they were so swift and strong that they could run by the side of a buffalo and taking the animal in one arm could tear off a leg and eat it as they ran. Now you can make of that whatever you like, but it's in his book. And coincidentally... It's in the Bible. Let's look at some giants throughout history. Genesis 6-4, there were giants in the earth in those days. A skeleton nine feet, eight inches tall was recovered from a stone burial mound at Brewersville, Indiana in 1879. Every one of these sources is cited at the bottom of the slide. You can look it up on your own. Skeleton nearly 10 feet long was found in the Humboldt Lake Nevada bed in June 1931. Uh, Roman Emperor Maximinus was 8 feet 6 inches tall. Uh, at Walkerton, 20 miles southwest of South Bend, Indiana, a group of amateur archaeologists opened a mound in 1925 and unearthed the skeletons of eight giants ranging from 8 to 9 feet long. All were wearing heavy copper armor. Through the bungling of these diggers and the total disinterest of the archaeological museum establishment, these discoveries have now been scattered and lost. Let me ask you, why would the archaeological museum establishment be disinterested in this? Because it flies in the face of their narrative. The narrative that God doesn't exist, you started out as an amoeba. And slowly over millions and billions of years, we're getting bigger and stronger and smarter and faster. We are not. Our DNA is degenerating every single year. We are getting weaker and dumber. We are not getting better. We are wearing out. A skeleton 12 feet tall was reported in many papers near Tucson, Arizona in 1891. The man had six toes, long hair, and a bird-shaped headdress. Found in Lovett Cave, Nevada, 1911, in the Humboldt Museum in Winnemucca, Nevada. Now, if you go to Winnemucca, go to this museum because there is nothing else there. You can pick up this skull and put it on over your head like a football helmet and rattle your head around in it. Here is a normal human thumb bone. Here's another one of a giant found in the Mount Ararat region of eastern Turkey where they believe Noah's Ark came to rest. The Bible says there are giants in the earth in those days and then after that. Here in 1 Samuel 17, 4, we read, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Your cubit is from your elbow to your fingertip. The standard Egyptian cubit at the time of Moses was 18 inches. That makes Goliath nine and a half feet tall. In 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 5 and 6, and there was war again with the Philistines, and Elhanan, the son of Jair, slew Lamai, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. 
whose spear staff was like a weaver's beam. And yet again, there was war at Gath, where was a man of great stature whose fingers and toes were four and twenty, six on each hand and six on each foot. He also was the son of the giant. Here I am in a museum down in Texas. Yes, if you can believe it, that's me about 50 pounds ago. This human femur was found by a construction crew that actually came across a burial chamber. This femur would have belonged to a 16-foot-tall man. Here is a variety of skeletons that have been found throughout the world. Uh, starting all the way on the left, letter A is the average human skeleton, plus or minus a few inches. Letter B is a 15-foot human skeleton found in southeast Turkey in the late 1950s in the Euphrates Valley. Letter C is Maximinus Thrax, the Caesar of Rome, who is eight and a half feet tall. Letter D is Goliath of Gath, nine and a half feet tall. Letter E is King Og, spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 3. He was believed to be at a minimum 12 feet tall. <clears throat> Letter F is a 19 foot 6 inch tall human skeleton found in 1577 AD under an overturned oak tree in Switzerland. Letter G is a 23-foot-tall skeleton found in 1456 AD beside a river in France. And letter H, a 25-foot, 6-inch skeleton found in 1613 AD near the castle of Chamont in France. This one was claimed to be a nearly uh, complete find. And letter I, Almost beyond comprehension or believability was the find of the two separate 36-foot-tall human remains uncovered by the Carthaginians somewhere between 200 to 600 B.C. Some of us have been thinking, whew, boy, Patrick, that's kind of tough. I think I'm ready for that tinfoil. If it helps, I did not come up with this theory. The ancient rabbis have been teaching it for thousands of years, along with the early church up to the 5th century. And Josephus, a historian that was in Israel during the 1st century. Early church leaders believed and taught this theory. One thing that we must understand is that the giants, the offspring of the fallen angels, were not confined to the pre-flood world. The Bible talks a lot about them after the flood. And we're going to go all over all of that next week. And we haven't even started on demons. We've just hit fallen angels. There's more. When Joshua sends in the 12 spies to Canaan land, they come back and 10 of the spies claim that they cannot take over the land. Oh, it's a good land. It's flowing with milk and honey. But there are giants in the land. They were talking about the terrible six-fingered men. They said they were as grasshoppers in their sight. They were not exaggerating. They had reason to be terrified. This picture is of the average size of a human being today standing next to the largest human remains found in that region. 
When Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we are as grasshoppers in their sight, that was not hyperbole. They said, there is no way we can take over this land. That is Fallen Angels and Demons, part one. Thank you for holding your questions until the end. Thank you. You were all good and kind and patient with me as we went through this information. I know it's a little different, but thank you for letting me uh, go through it. Let's have a word of prayer, and we will be dismissed.